0: on the 15 second skip button. Enjoy.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
2: And I'm the Communications Director for Zenvo Automotive. And I've been in and around the car industry for, I guess, 25 years now, which is quite scary, putting a number against it. The Driven Chat Podcast, powered by Paramex Digital.
0: Hello there, and welcome to this week's Driven Chat podcast. My name is John Markar, and as you have just heard there from the introduction this week, we are joined by a Mr. Tim Hutton. Hello, Tim Hutton. Hello there. Good to see you again, John. Good to see you. Now, I feel it would be important to put a little bit of a disclaimer on the beginning of this episode, as I have done once or twice before in the series of episodes that we've put out thus far and that is that um, our guest this week Mr Tim Hutton is quite a good friend of mine and whilst we will be talking about all sorts of uh, very official things along the routes of what you do for a career uh, both past and present um, there might be a bit of friendly chat in this that you dear listener are just going to have to put up with because that's the way it rolls Uh, but we worked out before we started recording that Tim and I first met and it's a good first meeting we met 2008 which is quite terrifyingly 15 years ago in the Nürburgring car park if my memory serves me correctly I was standing with another good friend of ours Mr Alistair Clark film director extraordinaire and Alistair was there to do some work and said I've got this guy coming who's a motoring journalist and uh, is road testing quite a cool car and enrolls this rather fantastic looking then brand new 2008 Aston Martin V8 Vantage which I remember impressed me for a number of reasons the color was good and it also had the pop up Bang & Olufsen stereo system and I thought god this guy this guy must be doing really well if he's getting Aston Martin press cars
2: was I right no
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: not at all No, Uh, very much uh, champagne lifestyle, lemonade budgets. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, that had taken a lot of sweet talking with the then press officer there, Kim Palmer, who's gone on to great things across the industry now himself. Um, Yeah, I think I worked on him for about two or three months, assuring him that the magazine that we were working on was legitimate. And it was a great idea to let me put a few thousand miles on Aston Martin, driving it to the Nordschleife, not driving it around the track because we weren't allowed to do that, but no. we did. Uh, and <laughs> I think enough times passed now where
0: yeah, that doesn't
2: matter anymore. No, it's fine. Um, and and yeah, met you guys in the car park. I think I'd been chatting to Al ahead of the trip because I'd seen some of his work and just said it'd be really cool to get together while we're there to get some content
0: And just like that folks that's where you meet cool people I've met oh we've both met quite a few cool people at the Narberbury haven't we it's a, it's a good place it's one of those spots in the world where I think well it's probably unrivaled by any other location where you're quite likely to meet somebody who's like-minded who has similar if not slightly more ambitious um, destiny in life and people that Spend far too much money on cars, which is uh, which is which is fine,
2: I believe. Yeah, yeah, I think um, all the cool, all the not cool, we're not cool, but all the interesting <laughs> people that <laughs> I've met in life and all the opportunities have just come from just being out there and doing stuff, yeah, and doing what you enjoy, and off the back of that, that's where you make good friends for life. I think so. The ring was was, uh, yeah, completely new to me then. You guys were pretty seasoned to it already then. Mm-hmm. But um, it was a cool place, very exciting. And, um, yeah, it was late November. It was a RMA track day. And it, I think it was probably the day after they'd had a VLN race. So the track was You're right. cold, greasy, covered in leaves. Oh, my God, it could actually be
0: 15 years to the day that we met. <laughs> yeah. if If not... The day,
2: it's certainly within a week. Yeah, yeah. It would would have been November, I reckon. How weird. Um, whatever the last race of the season was, I yeah. guess. I think maybe the track's closed now, isn't it? Yeah. Me? But yeah, really interesting bunch of people. And yeah, you go out and you have pizza and you have your steak on a stone and yeah. conversations start. And yeah, I probably fed you a load of rubbish and you thought... This guy, God, this guy's. This guy's, this to guy's take got it going.
0: Me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, we will get to that point. I think that's a nice little opener. Um, it's the kind of the, the scene setting for the book, isn't it? They met at the motorsport circuit. But mm-hmm. let's go back to the bits where before we met, and as you know, because I know you've listened to a few of these episodes, uh, one of the questions I always like to start with is asking that question about the core memory, something as far back as you can remember, either as a small child or as a young adult, something that might have happened or a sequence of things that might have happened that's ultimately got you to where you are now or switched on that little pilot light of excitement in and around the world of cars?
2: Yeah, well, I think my earliest living memory is in the back of my mum's little Fiat 500. Mm -hmm. So my very first memory is car-related. Wow. Um, yeah, and I have a terrible memory, so that's it's quite impressive that I can't even remember anything. <laughs> um, and then the formulative stuff really would be the fact that I had two older brothers, eight years older and 16 years older, mm. both into their cars, a father who was into his cars, a mother that used to ride motorbikes, not so into cars. And thoroughly disappointed that we had a third boy. Oh, um, really? She'd already teed up the name Holly because I was a, a Christmas baby. So she was <laughs> hoping that I was going to become a ballet dancer, which she did make me do for a little bit. Oh, I did know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's all it's all gone now, sadly. So, <laughs> um, But we had two children's race cars that were built by some guys that were ex Man Racing. And... We used to go down to Tangmere Airfield after my dad would get back from work and drive them around the airfield. Nice. So, the first time I drove anything was uh, seven years old, I think, six or seven. Pretty good. Yeah. It's a good 10 years ahead of most people, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And they're just lawnmower powered cars with torque converters, so no gears or anything, but all rose jointed suspension styled like a 60s Grand Prix car and, yeah, tearing around airfields until, uh, until it got dark, which <laughs> you can't do that anymore. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, there was no, no hope. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, yeah, if, if the
0: seed – so if it wasn't the Fiat 500 that did it, it would have been uh, some excit- – well, it sounds like excitable dad going, right, have a go at this. And I can't imagine that would have been too much of a difficult – Persuasion.
2: No, no, my brothers had done it. And when they had been driving the cars, you could go up to Goodwood in the evening and drive there till it got dark. Oh, wow. Free of charge.
0: Yeah. Worth Um, pointing out, actually, isn't it? That you grew up a stone's throw from the circuit.
2: Yeah, I grew up in Chichester. After school, I would ride up to the circuit. And back then, because I'm old, there was still the odd F1 team testing a bit of aero around Goodwood before it would go to a European Grand Prix. So yeah, it's a pretty cool place to grow up in and at the weekend you'd jump in your brother's Nova GTE or his <laughs> or Lancia Delta H F Turbo go up to Goodwood and watch people doing track days. Nice. And that was nearly always a a weekend occurrence and from time to time they would do track days and my dad would do track days and Cool. Just grew up around it, yeah. So it was just cars that's, yeah that's all that was going on in my life mega
0: well the other question that I often like to ask uh, is in relation to the car that you've driven here in however we're actually sat in your front room so you've not driven anything here but let's imagine we've met somewhere uh what would what would the car have been that you turned up in
2: well I mean if we're talk, talking kind of um what would the car have been it would have been the Jaguar Mark II Yes, I have. But that has sadly been off the road since we blew the engine up in Portugal. Um, So it would be the Z4 Coupe, which I've just recently picked up for a nice little uh, winter runabout, basically. Yeah. Uh, Winter tyres going on it next week. Very cool. And try and get down to Switzerland before Christmas, see some friends. That'd be really cool.
0: Yeah. First time I've seen it, I've just pulled up in the car park in a very enormous, very muddy Land Rover Defender, and uh, yeah, it's dwarfed the little Z4, but they are such cool things. Really cool little car, and the coupe version as well, which of course makes everything cooler. Yes. Coupes over convertibles, always the way. <coughs> so, difficult one to know where to start. It's, it's, it's actually made more challenging when talking to a friend because there's loads of things that I do know, but of course, in the, the art of painting the picture for the podcast, we need to go through it in a more organic uh, interview way. So, Talk to me about the kind of early years of your work in the automotive world, because I think most people that know you now will, a lot will know you for your work with Zenvo. A lot will know you for your uh, magazine life, both as a writer, as an editor, as an owner of magazines, as a creator of magazines. Um, But there was a time beforehand, wasn't there, where it wasn't so much about writing the words and taking the photos it was more about doing the layout stuff. So why don't you tell us, where did you start and how did it then form into automotive?
2: Yeah, so I did graphic design at college. And in the summer, I was freelancing in London at a design agency that my brother, my middle brother was working at, and they were called MPA Fingal. And the MPA stood for Motor Press Agency. And they had originally been founded with Jeremy Clarkson as part of the founders. Oh, right. Okay. And um, everything they did basically was car-related. car, car related. So in that summer, I was working on a logo for the Chinese World Rally Championship. I think we did some postcards for Honda for British Touring Car Championship to hand out at races. Um, everything. It was just all car-related And I loved it because I I like design and being creative as well. And yeah, I started back at college that autumn. And then they got in touch and they said, do you want to come and work for us? So didn't even think about it. Pied off the education. (laughs) I I hated school. College was way, way more enjoyable because you're allowed to be yourself and be a bit free. Mm -hmm. But school and it's structure didn't agree with me so um yeah took the job in london and started commuting two hours each way up to london every day um and yeah i just just loved it loved all the work loved being around creative people loved being in london Mm. and every week one of the directors matthew carter who's a, a motoring journalist himself he would turn up to work in a new car. Mm-hmm. And after about half a year of this, I just kind of said, look, what's going on? What's the deal? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, um, I uh, I write about cars um, and the manufacturer gives me a car every week to review. Nice. And I was like, well, oh, that's pretty cool. Nice. And yeah, started thinking about that. And then one week a Ferrari Daytona got delivered and it was from the heritage fleet of Ferrari, I guess maybe from Italy. And uh, they'd loaned it to him to go and do a, do a rally for an article. Wow. And I just thought at that point, I need to get in on this, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'd completely fluffed school, hated writing mm. was rubbish at English. And, uh, so I thought, well, the only way that I can do this one day is to maybe produce a magazine. Cause I can do all the design side of things. Mm mm-hmm. So from an early stage, this was early 2000s, I was thinking about magazine design, and I left the agency, um, went freelance for a bit, and then uh, did some freelance for a magazine called Intersection, which mm-hmm. was a really nice magazine. Um, the guy there, Yorgo, was um, just, yeah, it, he said, we can't pay you anything, but you can, by all means, come and work for us before Christmas. and. Learn. And while I was there, he had a, a Gumball Rally trophy on the cabinet. Okay. And uh I was like, oh, cool, Gumball. Yeah, I've seen seen a couple of programs about it. Yeah, bear in mind. So this is early 2000s. Gumball started in 99, didn't
0: it? So it's still, in yeah. it's very much its infancy.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. This was, uh, I guess this was 2003 or four. Mm-hmm um so i'd seen the 2003 film san francisco to miami which they released in the cinema a couple of Mm. things and also 2004 me and a bunch of friends jumped in a car and drove to paris to watch the start there so we were kind of super fans (laughs) um but yeah late 2003 working for nothing for this magazine and uh, he said, Well, I'm going out for Christmas to Monaco to see Max. And uh, I think he's looking for a designer, so I can put in a word for you if you want. Nice. And I was like, Cool. Yeah. Wow. He's in Monaco. Like, yeah. he must be cool. <laughs> similar situation to when you first met me, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Similar introduction to Gumball as well, but we'll get to that yeah. chapter later, I'm sure. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. The next uh, beginning of the next year. Um, Max called up and I went and had an interview with them when they were still in Notting Hill. In his, his like the office was his flat. Yeah. And um, yeah, took the job. Uh, Quite a pay (laughs) cut. But yeah, it was still kind of rock and roll. Then it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you've gone from
0: did did the kind of magazine aspiration dwindle a little bit, or or was it just kind of like put on pauses? This is something that's so cool. But I, I just have to be part of it.
2: Yeah, I couldn't see any way of doing the magazine at that point. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to be more and more around cars and being creative. And so Gumble offered me a chance to push the balance towards more cars and less creativity rather than yeah. going into a design agency doing all creative stuff, but about cars. So it got me closer to cars. Mm. And um, yeah, I think I needed a bit of wildness in my life. I'm a very reserved, shy, nervous person. So I needed yeah. that. It's an interesting one as
0: well. And I think it's it's important to kind of paint the picture for any of our listeners below a certain age. So I'm going to say even maybe below 30. Um, you've got to think back to... Early two thousands, two thousand and four, five. Social media is not really a thing yet. YouTube isn't a thing. We're not constantly bombarded or shown the world's most exclusive supercars and hypercars at our disposal by picking up our mobile phones. A lot of people didn't even have a mobile phone. You know, the internet was in its infancy and it was a bit rubbish. So, an opportunity like get involved with this brand, Gumball. And again, I think a lot of people think now they kind of take Gumball for granted because there are so many of these like copycat rally companies now doing a similar thing. Oh, let's put on this glamorous uh, rally where we go from one country to another via five others and this, that, and the other. Gumble was so far ahead of everybody else. It was the most rock and roll, unusual, mad, mad thing. Like Jackass were on it one year and David Hasselhoff drives it every year. and It was just mad to think that that was something that a reserved car nerd might have some sort of involvement in but it it was the case wasn't
2: it yeah i wanted to grow as a person and you have to kind of push yourself out of your little bubbles really um and being in london did that i think and yeah the the guys who i worked in the office with were just real characters and we'd get like one day we had a limo pull up two women in their underwear got out of the car (laughs) and gave us an invite to a party at the top of center point like that night and just random stuff would happen people would come around knocking asking for money for things that hadn't been paid for (laughs) um yeah on the rally you've got people related to count dracula you got art dealers celebs it was, uh, it was wild, wild kind of proper wacky races stuff. Yeah. And it was, it was fun and exciting. And Max's friend network was great. So if we needed to do photos, you'd have Jody kid coming over in a Lago and all manner of just excitement. And I just, yeah, that was quite addictive. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you know how easy it is to get caught up in that gumball moment. It's, yeah. um. Infectious, it is,
0: yeah, it is because yes, a good few years later, I got a call from Tim saying, Just had a chat with Max, and he's looking for a new events guy, and I might put your name forward. And that happened, um, but we'll get to that bit. The um, so you did a little stint at Gumball, it was a year or two, was it?
2: Um, so it was 2005 rally, I did all the design work for, mm-hmm. and then started to work on the 2006 stuff. And then I think I worked the start of 2006 rally, which was the crazy, around the world in eight days, three mm. continents. that the one where they went to North Korea? No, they um, they drove through Europe, then they flew the cars to Asia, drove uh-huh. across Thailand, then flew the cars to Salt Lake City, and then ended up in LA. Right. So in eight days, and once, once you're on the gumball, you just lose all track of... Time, what yeah. country you're in, and I think, yeah, and it's just adrenaline keeping you going, and then at the end of Gumball, you're ill for about three weeks because yeah, you be. just your body needs to recuperate basically. Mm. Yeah, um, so yeah, I think I was still doing bits for them. I worked the 2007 Rally Start as well, um, but I was back to doing freelance design work by then, just because London was so expensive to live in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the job wasn't gonna kind of grow enough. I just thought it might be a bit, bit of a bad idea if I stay here too long because mm. I'm not gonna. There's nowhere to level up if you're the, the head of design, and yeah, it's a small team. So I needed to spread my wings. Fair enough. So what did that involve? How 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 far from that point, from like that
0: mad chapter of Gumball, did you get to? getting the first press cars delivered? Was it, a, uh,
2: was it a straightforward soon after thing or did that come a lot, a lot later? Um, so 2007, I found myself working in Tunbridge Wells for, another, for an ad agency doing a lot of Honda stuff. And then <clears throat> I left there and I think I won a competition to have like a Peugeot something for 48 hours. Nice. And I was like, oh, cool. And it kind of rejigged my memory of getting cars and things. Yeah, yeah. But like, I never had the money to have anything nice myself. I mean, I'd had my, my first car was a Citroen AXGT, which was, that was a cool first That's car. pretty cool, yeah. But then after that, the cars I was driving up to London in were ridiculous, so... <laughs> um. For example, I accidentally bought an Audi. Okay, as, uh, as one does. How do you accidentally buy an Audi? Well, you go to your local car auction place on an industrial <laughs> estate and you and your mates, after you've had your fry up the morning after, walking around kicking tyres, and there's this Audi Coupe 2.2 in there. So it looks a bit like a Quattro, but yeah, not four-wheel drive or anything. And um, and I just went up to the lady and I said, oh. How much they looking for on that? And she was like, "Oh, I think like three hundred and seventy five pounds." Very good. And I was like, oh, cool." I was like, "Do you reckon they'd take like two nine five or something like that for it?" <laughs> Just very casually. Yeah. And then, uh, and then we walked off, and we we're walking around, and she came over, and she was like, "Yeah, no, they would." I was like, "Oh, cool. I have a think about it." And she's like, "Well, no, you you've made an offer now, so you're legally bound to buy it." Oh right. <laughs> I was like, "Ah, oh." oh. Okay, um, can I borrow some money? <laughs> um, so I was driving that up to Parsons Green every day, uh, putting a litre of oil in it every morning as I put 20 quid's worth of fuel in it. Perfect. Because it was just falling out of the car. <laughs> wow. Um Yeah. Uh, and that had a neat thing that if your mate in the passenger seat really stuck his foot deep into the footwell, the car would break as well. So <laughs> that was a great amusement for them. Um so yeah, <clears throat> um off off pieced a bit there, <laughs> yeah, but all right. but yeah, basically, it was quite nice having a new car for forty eight hours, yeah, and I said to my girlfriend at the time, "Let's go for a road trip, mm. so we <laughs> I basically wanted to do as many miles as I could in this thing, <laughs> so we drove out of West Sussex, drove to Blackpool, didn't stay there very long. Not really my vibe. I'm sure some people love it. I'm sure they do. Yeah, Yeah. but um, it wasn't for me. Um, And then drove up to Edinburgh. (laughs) Good work. (laughs) Around Edinburgh. (laughs) And then decided that what I'd really like to do is go and see Gateshead car park just south of Newcastle, which is the car park used in the film Get Carter. Uh And it's a real brutalist car park. I don't think it's even there anymore. So, yeah, by about 4 a.m. we were driving through Newcastle. and then <laughs> Girlfriend at the time happy with this or a bit bemused by the activity? I think the novelty was wearing off by then. <laughs> um, yeah, and then from, New- uh, from Gateshead we drove into the North Yorkshire Moors and uh, my dad had done some drawings of Whitby years ago and I was like, oh, let's drive to Whitby. And then I think we drove to Scarborough as well. It was getting light by then. Pulled over, had half an hour kip. 'cause I was getting a bit tired by then. Um and then drove home. So I can't remember how many miles that was, but
0: I, I'd like to think that whoever received the car back, if they had to do like nowadays we have press cars delivered that you get the clock in and clock out sheets. So mm-hmm. you are like, I'll just record the mileage. Oh, you've done fairly well, you've done two thousand miles. I like the idea of somebody getting in that car going, sorry, you've had this for how long? And you've done you've done what?
2: Yeah. It was um It was a stupid idea, really. But um, anyway, it happened. And so after that, I started to think about the magazine stuff. I'd quit the job in the design agency in Tunbridge Wells. was just working from home, chipping away, doing freelance. And when you've got a lot of time on your hands, your brain wonders. Mm -hmm. So I came up with this concept for a magazine called Road. Yeah. <clears throat> and um yeah, I got introduced to a guy called Phil Raby, who's now a Porsche dealer, selling very nice cars down the south coast. At the time he was uh uh he was working for Porsche nine eleven world and he was local, so I went and chatted to him about doing magazines and this idea of producing a online page-turny-type magazine because mm-hmm. uh, the technology was kind of...
0: It was just at that that point, wasn't it, where suddenly there were electronic versions of all the magazines that we could go and buy in the shop, but also we started to see new publications coming forward and companies were using it as uh, brochure software. Mm. Look at our products we've got for sale. Don't get a hard copy. Look at it on our website. Yeah. So, yeah, exciting times.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, hindsight... The, trying to trying to read something traditional on modern technology is ridiculous because yeah. a well-built website will do that so much better. Yeah, but yeah. there you go. Anyway, I, I kind of thought, well, this is a way to produce a magazine without needing the budgets to print mm. and manufacture and post out magazines. So he then introduced me to another Phil called Phil Royal, who had written for a few of the tuning mags. And we kind of got together and started um, working through our contacts and pulling together a, a dummy online magazine. And I think, yeah, early 2008, we did the first issue of that. And we were trying to do it quarterly, I think, or maybe every two months. I think the first one was about 60 pages. We got a few adverts in there, but we needed to get the get the manufacturers and the brands behind us we didn 't have an ad salesperson, um, so I can imagine that was quite a task as well you know, as i 'm sure everyone now knows
0: magazines don 't make money by selling copies they make money by placing adverts so the idea of phoning up a company and going hi i 'm um, not i 've never done sales before, but can we have some money in order to do this magazine which you 've never heard of um, which is which is new but we hope will be big that must have been Must have been
2: quite the task. Uh, Yeah, very, very difficult. And also 2007, we'd had a bit of a financial crash. So people weren't really being that frivolous with their budgets. Um, So it was tough and we just kind of were like, well, we can produce this cheaply. We can still be doing other stuff on the side to fund fund putting a bit of time into doing this. So we just kind of cracked on. So I think... uh, my first press car, I'm trying to think what it would have been. I think it was a Nissan, Nissan 350Z, I think. Okay. Yeah. Which was pretty cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And straight away, I was just totally hooked. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I <laughs> just love the fact that somebody is turning up. With the keys, full tank of fuel, go and drop them off at the station if they need a lift or whatever. Yeah. I've always been kind of super polite to these people that do that job because it's not a great paying job and no. driving something down very sensibly because you can't lose your job and then taking a the train all the way back again <laughs> is is not good. So you can't leave them, uh, leave them to walk kind of two yeah, miles yeah. down a lane or anything. Um, so yeah, I think it was 350Z and... Um, yeah, we gradually over time started to build up a bit of momentum and, yeah, just it it started growing and we were getting a bit of a following, getting some positive comments on places like Piston Heads, which wow. was surprising. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then a couple of guys by the names of Chris Harris – Jethro Bovingdon mm. and Richard Meaden, little known to me, had also been doing something exactly the same, but with great writing mm. and video content and more budgets called Driver's Republic. Yeah, of course. Which launched around the same time. And uh, yeah, very hard to compete with them because it just had beautiful photography, nice design production. Mm. And some budget. They had a huge budget behind it, didn't they? They had somebody in as a... They had an investor who, yeah, was a bit of a tricky character. We worked with him a little bit Mm. later on. After everything went wrong with Driver's Republic, he launched his own thing called Skidmark. Brilliant. uh, Which that... (laughs) Did as well as the name, I'm sure. The... I mean, that was hilarious the kind of stuff going around when he launched that just <laughs> setting yourself up for it really aren't you um but yeah the magazine magazine grew and it allowed me to kind of start traveling and getting into press cars and doing stuff like going out to the that was the biggest thing I had done to that date when I met you oh cool because everything You know, we have to pay for it all out of our pockets. And the minute you start driving through Europe, it gets expensive with fuel and accommodation. Mm -hmm. I think I was being put up at a guy called Jaco Velda. His house slept in his roof, I think, (laughs) on a mattress. Um, Oh, no, actually, we managed to... I thought you were at the Doran. We, yeah, because I offered you a room there, I think. yeah. So we had managed to negotiate rooms in the Dorant, <laughs> And then at the last minute, Bill number 2 had negotiated rooms at uh, the Tiergarten. That's bird, right. Yeah. That's where Al and I stayed. Yeah. So we were staying there. So we had this spare room in the Dorrent, which I think one of you guys was maybe going to stick around. Or maybe that was when Al's yellow hairy canary blew up. And he was maybe thinking of staying another day. I can't remember. That might have been another trip. I think that was another trip, yeah. That was... Yeah, can't I can't remember that. what we drove out in. Actually, I think that was the, the time I met Julian Smith and had a drift lap around the Nordschleife, which is right. yes. pretty wild. Also remember that. <laughs> um, So yeah, road carried on for quite a while until one of the guys kind of really got into a new relationship with a chick and just... Got distracted, basically. Okay. And the magazine just ground to a halt. But we'd, we'd it would be been a struggle and we were kind of self-funding yeah. it. So It's
0: difficult as well, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, the self-funding is a is a huge thing. But when it's essentially a group of friends trying to get something together, if you haven't got that kind of corporate lead somewhere in the organisation to keep everything churning along and keep it processing, it is difficult. And these sort of things happen. You know, we you fall out of love with it and you go, oh, it might be easier to just go off and do something else then.
2: Yeah. Well, I parked road and then once everyone was out of it i tried to relaunch it titled stiff magazine i remember well yes um, the idea of the title was to just create a bit of conversation <laughs> not quite as good as skidmark let's be honest it's not as good as skidmark and certainly quite a confusing name really <laughs> yeah. but i had had a whole load of content that we hadn't used and I think the first thing that you and I did together is I had a CSL and a... Yes, that's right. ...E-90, 90, 92 yep. edition. And we met up at either your yours or yep. Al's parents. And we drove into London to do a little film. We did. Yeah. Um, and on the way there, I think... Uh, Al got pulled over in the CSL. Yes, the he police. did. Yeah, he did. I yeah, so he got pulled over because they were like, it's a very nice car that you're driving yeah. this evening, sir. <laughs> um I avoided another police car coming and managed to curb the black wheels on this brand new M3 edition. <laughs> so it was not going particularly well. But good, good stuff for the BMW Press Office back then. Yeah. Uh who were also expecting this all to go out in a magazine called Road magazine as well. So Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we worked our way up to West London, and yeah, I think it must have been very, very slippery around Piccadilly Circus. It that's was, from I'm memory, saying. it was there was a diesel on the road or something. Something so happened, and uh, we lost the back end of the cars. Yeah, it was almost yeah. I mean, I think I wrote a letter saying you need to watch watch that uh, <laughs> Westminster <laughs> Council Council. Yeah. That's uh, that's dangerous. Yeah, some somebody might get hurt. Yeah, but yeah, the result of which.
0: Um, also resulted in our first little film, yeah. Um, produced and filmed, well produced by Al, filmed a bit by Al, a bit by me, probably a bit by you, it was very much a uh, throw it all together at once, I seem to remember I was driving around in a Lupo Sport 16 valve, don't mean to brag, and we were using that as a tracking car with me driving through Shad Thames and Al... Clark sitting in the boot, <laughs> an open boot of a Lupo Sport, yeah. filming the E90 and then the and then the CSL driving through Shad Thames.
2: Yeah, well, Al was very much the Dennis Waterman of the film world at that point and <laughs> had to do everything himself. So yeah, yeah that's re- right. Yeah, wrote the theme tune. <laughs> um yeah, that was our that was our first little film. It was a cool film actually. It is. It's still out there. I will provide a
0: link to it in the uh in the description below. Yeah. Because it's worth a watch. Yeah. It's uh yeah, it is. It was early stages of uh well, early stages of me being involved in this world mm. for sure. Uh early stages of Al Clark doing Al Clark things. And um yeah. The, the How many issues of, of Stiff went out? Was it just the one or um, there were a couple?
2: No, we did a few and this young lad called John Slavin yes, got in course. contact and he wanted to get into the automotive industry. Yeah. So I kind of said, look, I'm struggling a bit. I'm busy trying to pay the bills now, but you're welcome to use it as a platform. And he was... That's right. He was a young lad, so he was reviewing various kind of small cars. Yeah, and he was going on the, he features. on the Chevrolet Spark launch. And yeah, like all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I think there are maybe about 10 issues of it, but they were kind of very small, mm-hmm. like 12-page. Each Each thing was its own. Uh, each kind of feature was its own thing. Yeah, uh, John, very sadly, not with us anymore. Yeah, But, um, yeah, that... I think maybe around the same time I was possibly doing the auto-tweet-up Twitter stuff. Of
0: course. Another thing that you're known for and famed for within the automotive... The, the strange circle of automotive people, mm. as in uh, media creators, journalists, uh, just yeah, general creatives, I guess, is yeah, auto-tweet-up, which I I didn't even write down because I completely forgot that that was a, a important thing. But that was quite cool, wasn't it? That was... The the first certainly in my time working in this mad world, it was the first time I was able to get in a room with a collection of people who thought like I did, who had similar ambitions to me, and who worked or wanted to work in the automotive industry. So
2: those were quite cool events,
0: weren't they? What was the reason behind coming
2: up with it? Um, so I'd been uh, I'd been invited to an event by Auto Trader which i think had been organised by John Quirk. Yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. An auto trader and they wanted to do a Twitter meetup. Right. They called the event Auto Tweeter. <laughs> right okay. <laughs> um ah. And so yeah, did the event and i was kind of at, after the event. Like they didn't do any more with the name or anything like that. I, like i left it a little while but i just kept thinking that's a really There's all these conversations going on on Twitter. At the time, you could only say 140 characters. How do we kind of pull these kind of people who are writers, press people, marketing people, get them all together so they can kind of continue these conversations? Mm. Um, Yeah, so I rather embarrassingly called it auto-tweet up. (laughs) And, um, And yeah, it grew and... It's really cool now seeing some of the names of articles that have been written, seeing the people that were at that, or even just seeing where a lot of them all have all gone now, you know. Yeah. One of them, Keith, he was a teacher at the time. He was into cars. Of course, yeah. Now he's uh you know, he's a a writer. I think he's still with Parkers. He's with Parkers. Yeah. He's also one of the funniest men I follow on Instagram. He's brilliant. He's yeah. Uh, yeah. Keith Jones. Um, So yeah, all loads of, loads of people kind of started their journey there just through being able to network. Yeah.
0: I think that was a formative
2: little chapter for me personally, because I was
0: going along in like two capacities, really. I was going along as your mate, but also I was at that point realizing actually this mad corporate world that I've got myself caught up in isn't what I want to do. I was seeing people like yourself. I was seeing people like, Keith I was seeing people like John Slavin even who were at the beginning of their careers all pursuing this thing that didn't really have a a crib sheet it wasn't like a, if you want to be a doctor you go and study medicine and then you find your speciality and then you go and do a master's and then you go and do that and it's all kind of like mapped out in the accordance of you do this to do to then do this and then you'll get access to that and then you'll end up being here within the creative realms of media that doesn't exist you kind of throw some sand in the air and go see where it lands and see what happens so it was quite powerful for me to be suddenly in these rooms with other people who were all quite similar going yeah i don't really know what the plan is but we'll have a go at this and figure it out and
2: yeah yeah well i think times were changing you know kind of 10 years prior you would have said that you go and you start at a magazine yeah shuffling files and then you might become like an assistant on something and then you work your way up mm-hmm through the ranks at a magazine but technology was coming along brands wanted to start utilizing these different social platforms out there and traditional journalists and that traditional route wasn't such a wasn't such a kind of path that you could take Mm -hmm. if if you had ambitions to do something that's a bit more digital so it was a kind of an interesting time for us all really that there was this kind of opportunity and a lot of manufacturers were excited and trying to understand how they can leverage these kind of masses of people. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was, it was good. We did some good events. You know, we had the, we had one where Toyota brought along an LFA yeah, and seven Aches in, in
0: Kent. I yeah. A whole well.
2: bunch of stuff and uh, a couple of very messy ones <laughs> in, uh, in bars uh, we did the Coventry Motor Museum. We did the Great Escape cars one where we all drove went out and yeah. driving cars. That's for the right. Day. Yeah, we did. Um, yeah, there's some quite cool stuff. We did a few talks. Jim Cameron, a good friend of ours, mm-hmm. came and gave a talk on Mission Motorsport. Um, yeah, it was it was good. It was good fun. Nice group of people. Yeah, definitely. So
0: I think the next chapter is the other bit where we started working together in a capacity where we suddenly found ourselves in an office at the same time. And that ch- chapter is a fairly big one with Gumball 3000. There were a few road trips before, there were plenty that came after, but the Gumball chapter is I think one where we got to know each other the best, I think is probably the um, best way of saying it in terms of working with each other, living with each other for a, for a bit. And then um, starting to travel the world with each other. But we'll get to that very shortly because I'm just going to cut to an advert break. So um, not much of a cliffhanger because the advert's going to be about 30 seconds and then people will come back and just carry on listening. But um, here's an advert break. And when we come back, we'll talk about what happened next. And then, of course, we're going to build up to what you're doing now, which is the important bit. Communications director for a super hypercar brand. Hypercar, hyper, yes. Hyper. Danish hypercar. At what point do we go mega though? Is it gonna be a mega car? A uh,
2: no, mega car is um it's it's when it's a megawatt of power, which I think is ah. over 1360 brake. So you could say they are mega mega cars because the 1850 brake is the most powerful one. Well, more on that
1: shortly.
0: And we're back in the room. So, late 2012. By this point, you and I, Tim, have uh, attended multiple events together. We have started talking about the idea of possibly working together, not really knowing what, how that would be or how it would pan out. Uh, you, at this point, had sent me on my very first press launch... So, it, it, in fact, we had started working together, but in a very casual capacity. Can you remember what the uh, what the very exciting press launch that you sent me on was? I'll give you a clue. It was it was in the UK, but it was in a different country.
3: It was in Wales, starting at the St David's Hotel in Cardiff.
2: Um. Uh, yeah. So I reckon that was probably. Peugeot. It was a Peugeot,
0: yes. The that was... first car launch I ever went on, courtesy of you, Tim Hutton, was a Peugeot 308 CC, I think it was, convertible coupe. Yeah. So I've, I don't think I've ever publicly thanked you for that opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let me put it on the record now.
2: Yeah. Well, I think I would have to thank Anne-Marie Payne for that. Aha. Uh-huh. Because through the auto-tweet-ups... Um, one of the PR companies coming along, they were doing they were doing work with Persia, yes, and I think it came from that, um, and yeah, we were we became friends, and I think she gave us a, a chance to get out on that, yeah. Um, so yeah, I was like, this is too big for me. Who <laughs> who can I hand this over to? Whales in a convertible. <laughs> it's got John written all over it. Yeah, it certainly did. Yep. But
0: yeah, that was my first ever car launch. Which nice. Was, uh, yeah, it was great.
2: Mm, well, I only take the the, <laughs> the really good ones for myself,
0: yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> Meanwhile, Tim was in Monaco with Land Rover. No, no, that was, uh, yeah, that was, that was quite a funny thing. So yeah, we'd started working with each other, doing bits and pieces. I was writing terribly for magazines. And um, then we were doing bits on and off. That was the other big formative one, wasn't it? It was Classic Grand Touring, which was a key chapter for both of us. A company that later in life I'd end up being a director of and running. Uh, But as a lowly freelancer trying to work my way and worm my way into any form of creative automotive career through written words, photography, video bits or events, because that seemed to be the one thing that I was actually any good at, found myself doing bits and pieces of work. You had a great friend called Tom Brimblecombe, who later became a great friend of mine. Tom was running Classic Grand Touring and was running events to Le Mans Classic. So I think the first time that we, beyond the Nürburgring, spent any time together outside the UK in and around cars was at Le Mans Classic and we got on fairly well and got to know each other fairly well and I think it was at that point that we decided, oh actually we quite like each other and this is fine and we probably will end up working together. But then um, fast forward another couple of years, a bit like your phone call back in 2005 from somebody saying, I've just been having a chat with Maximilian Cooper at Gumball 3000 and there's a role that might be good for you. I vividly remember the phone call from you in 2012 saying, I'm going to go back to Gumball and do some graphic design work and I've just been having a chat with Max and he wants a new events guy and i put your name forward uh fast forward another week or two, and I'm having a couple of conversations with Maximilian Cooper and his sister, Lucinda, who also worked for the company at the time. And uh, then, yeah, before we know it, I'm the, new, <laughs> I'm the new events coordinator at Gumball 3000, and Tim Hutton's the graphic designer. There we are, in the same office together on Latimer Road. Yeah,
2: you, um, you started before me. Um, yeah, that's right, just. Yeah, because we were... I was in talks with Max for quite a long time. Um, I had just left my first wife and wanted to do something wild again. And <laughs> the answer was Gumball. And the answer was Gumball, yeah. <laughs> I do have to say a huge thank you also to Tom Brimblecombe for opening my eyes up to epic road trips yeah. and just getting me hooked on driving around Europe and or some of the some of the trips that I did with him just really made me realize how much more you can see in a car mm-hmm. going to places around Europe and how accessible it actually is so uh yeah big big thank you to him for that um but uh yeah i think it was probably early in The new year that I finally started. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was. It was. I came. I I was having talks the end of twenty twelve. I think might have just started in twenty twelve. Yeah, it was twenty thirteen that we were both commuting to the office together.
2: Yeah, well, I was living in. I was living in Milton Keynes for a bit. That's right. Well, yeah, I was living in Milton Keynes, and then I think, and I was driving down every morning, but to beat the traffic, I was leaving crazy early. Yeah. Uh, I think you've got pictures of me asleep in a Honda CRX Del Sol <laughs> outside the office, which
0: I kindly put online, and people assumed <laughs> that you were just sleeping in the office car park yeah. all night, which of course wasn't the case.
2: John has a John has a a, a, fo- a hidden folder of some quite into uh, yeah awkward awkward stuff of me like being folded in half on an electric bed in Germany as well. Yeah, it's true. Um, So, yeah, I was living in Milton Keynes with a good mate, uh, and you basically said you can stay at mine midweek because the room's free during the weekdays. That's right, yeah. So, um, yeah, we started realising quite how much our musical tastes crossed over, Mm -hmm. uh, how our sense of humours were so well-matched. <laughs> Read it about how you will, but <laughs> terribly dark. Yes. I think is the gist. Yeah. Um, and yeah, those, those drives in, it was probably like an eight-mile drive, which would take an hour and something. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. Well, but, it, I worked out early on that I could spend
0: an equal amount of time either sitting on the tube and waiting for different tube trains mm. or just sitting in my own car which was mental to drive from the london borough of merton to notting hill it, it's it's daft that is a really really daft commute but it was the same time and it just came to we we just realized well I'd, we'd rather sit and enjoy listening to music we like and having terrible conversations in yeah. a
2: car than doing something similar on the tube because we'd probably been arrested. No, it was... Uh, they were hilarious drives in. I, I remember us uh, stealing our breakfast from the Tesco's <laughs> quite often. Um, Accidentally. Yeah, no. I, I just bollocks, forgot to pay him. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we uh, we had many, many laughs which was very good and it helped set you up for a day of utter madness. That was a day in the office at Gumball.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's something we've skirted around a few times before. There's an episode very similar to this one, actually, that I recorded with Sam Moores, um, who also has a very nice podcast. And, um, Sam, of course, was one of the official photographers for Gumball, and we painted a bit of a picture there, and the, the giving the reality to, yes, whilst there is this hugely glamorous, international, rock star-fueled, amazing event that goes on, the actual machine behind it isn't quite as glamorous as that big final result. So, yeah, working in the office... Um, certainly had its rewards. You know, I was off doing reccees and I was planning routes and, you know, there was a lot of traveling and it was very exciting. But there were there were some challenging aspects to that job as well, which I think is, is no secret. I think people, anyone that's worked in a similar field of events um, or, or creative media will know that the final glossy result of what we work to produce doesn't necessarily reflect the environment in building it.
2: It's very much a a swan, that business. Yes. And uh, we were very much underwater. We were the feet. (laughs) Flapping around (laughs) like crazy. Um, And I think that is, a bit of it is Max's hyper-creativity. Yeah, massively. Uh, And a bit of it is just the fact that you're trying to work out how to get 120 plus cars around seven or eight countries and dealing with countries councils everything all mm-hmm. around trying to get permissions like it's a huge huge thing yeah. to pull off and set up and just how far barriers need to go from start lines mm-hmm. it just was a huge job very big job for you i just came in and just designed some t-shirts and <laughs> and things every day but um yeah it was massive. I think the biggest issue really was Max is very creative at night. So didn't always come into the office before 4 p.m. <laughs> and then would kind of be like, right, let's go through the grid. We're doing this today. <clears throat> and we're all kind of halfway out of the door. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> there was a bit of that. Um, but it was great fun. Absolute madness. Uh that pub down the road with Ducatis just parked in it. Yes, I and if you ordered a whiskey the and whiskey and Coke, he'd just like reach behind him and get an open bottle of Coke that was yeah. totally flat. To make what was it. that pub called? But yeah, you're right. It was. I don't think maybe it didn't even have a name
0: because we. I think we'd walked past it a few times, and it was. I mean, this is the the madness of that organisation to work for. So, Gumball in itself is a rock and roll event, but the office itself was quite quirky and quite cool because three doors down on Latimer Road was Damon Albarn's recording studio. studio. Yeah. So you'd see massive recording artists just like rolling in and out. And then one day we see them going across the road into this pub mm. that looked like it used to be a pub and now it was just kind of like a derelict building. But as we found out it was a pub. But yeah, we could go in there and the bloke the, the landlord, who from memory was a quite an eccentric Greek guy uh, used to keep his motorcycles in the pub because that was the safest place to park them. So he was using the pub as a garage, but it was still a pub. And I remember one of the guys that worked on the apparel team, Neil, asking the landlord, oh, can we smoke in here? Because the landlord was <laughs> it lit, no, lit up a cigarette and the landlord just looked across and went, not officially, and then threw him a lighter. I just thought, well, what a cool place. What an amazingly cool pub.
2: Yeah, it just had to get lucky with finding a day when he decided to open and unlock the door, really. And some days the door was unlocked so you'd still stand there for 10 minutes before anyone appeared. But um yeah. yeah, it was good fun. Um Polish truck drivers fighting outside. <laughs> uh, kids... Breaking into cars to steal gumball caps. Yeah. Um, there was that day when that guy who owned a football club was MOTing all his cars down the road. And yeah, that's right. Throughout like 250 the, course Lusos of the day.
0: and stuff were rolling through.
2: 250 LUSO, yeah, yeah. 288 GTO, F40. Just, yeah. All, well, I think we were looking out the window just going, what is going what on? What is here? going on? And, and I think this we isn't went for down. us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was good fun.
0: Yeah, and that was just the stuff that happened in London and the, yeah. all the stuff that happened to the rest of the world. Well, that is that is someday a podcast in itself, which I think is the same conclusion I came to with Sam when we were talking, because um, you can easily fall down a rabbit hole of oh, just mm. mad stories about Gumball. But it was good. You stuck around for another year or so, didn't you? And then I, for whatever
2: crazy reason, stuck around for about three more um, yeah, before I, think I decided the, that was enough. I think nearly getting carjacked in uh, in Poland. Oh, yeah put me off
0: (laughs) and to hear that story again i'm sorry it's going to be a future one i think what we should probably do at some point is get try and get you me sam moore's maybe max if he's up for it all around the table and just share some of these mad stories because of course gumball lives on it's still going Mm. um but i do feel like we were part of it at a time that was quite uh it was like the second wave of madness, I think, from the from the initial start. Yeah. So yeah, there are some good stories to be told. Mm. But yeah, following that time, so you once you decided, okay, that's enough, mad chapter done, you went back into the world of publishing and started creating other magazines. And then by proxy, we started doing more road trips together, which were quite cool. And we were just in our little advert break, reeling off some of the adventures that we've done, which one included... Driving a Nissan GTR to Verona to have a pizza and then drive home, which yeah. we did um, via the Alps. Mm-hmm. We took a GT86 to the Nurburgring. We took lots. We've taken lots of cars to the Nurburgring. Um, we drove a Bentley
2: Bentayga about all four
0: thousand miles
2: all around Europe. Yeah. All around Europe. All to like in all to the most expensive places. Yeah, and there were four of us, so I had to pay for two rooms. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that was a, that was a big trip. That was. Um I mean there've been so many. We've I dread to think. I'd love to maybe we'll work it out someday, but I'd love to work out the amount of miles that you and I have shared together on the road. It must be it tens and tens and tens of thousands. It has to be. Yeah.
2: Yeah, well we drove drove my old Porsche 911 to Zagreb and back. We did.
0: Yeah, we did.
2: And on on day 1 of that I insisted that I drove the Porsche around the GP circuit mm. of the Nürburgring. Yes. And cooked the brakes. I said, "Please don't take the car out yeah. before our rally because yeah. you'll cook
0: the brakes." Yeah. And then you came in and went, "Yep, yeah. I cooked the brakes."
2: Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, and then that engine launched itself just as uh, we were both happily driving along with our headphones on through France. It did. Home. We made it onto the ferry. Mm. And it is the one and only time I hope in my life that I will push a car through passport control. <laughs> which is exactly what we did. Well, it was pretty horrible because they wouldn't have let us on the ferry if we had to push it on. That's right, yeah. So we had to so we had to Jumps. just It kind of tanked this. its way on, and then I was yeah. driving it on a bit on the starter motor, and yeah, it, mm. was, it was not ideal. No, poor thing. Yeah. Um,
0: this was a 1976 Carrera SC, mm. just to paint that picture for you, dear listener.
2: Yeah, and that was the first Private Motor Club mm. project car. Of course, which is the other big brand that I think a lot of people
0: listening will know you for. Yeah. So Private Motor Club magazine. Has it started?
2: Yeah, well, so I was working in a design agency and I really wanted to do a magazine. Actually, I I started working on the magazine idea and then took a job in London working for another design agency doing more car stuff, Mm -hmm. cool things for Jaguar and Land Rover. And the magazine concept was called Superlux. That's right. And I did a crowdfunding for that. And someone that I'd met on the Gumball before messaged and said, love the idea, how much do you need? And we started chatting and formulating a plan and we were going to do it in line with the agency I was working at. We all flew out to Cannes to meet this guy and sat on the beach and had lunch and It was all pretty fancy, but then the the conversation kind of stopped and the agency wanted loads and loads of money to do it. And uh, I went and sat and had a cigar with the investor and we decided to go it alone. Yeah. And that was when Private Motor Club was founded, which I think was 2016. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, and that was the beginning of... yeah. The real epic road trips and producing a magazine or journal that had just really epic features. Mm -hmm. And you wonder why magazines don't have just pages after pages of epic features. It's because they cost a lot of money. Yeah. (laughs) But they aren't half good fun to do. (laughs) So it was was a learning curve and would do things differently now could be way more streamlined with your budgets but it was uh an amazing experience with the cars and the people and the travel yeah yeah we had some good fun really good yeah it's. uh yeah i think i think our first big road trip was the golden gtr it must be yeah we it's stopped and we him. ate breakfast on the back wing outside the racetrack in rom
0: yeah ringu yeah Got all these photos, I need to dig them all out now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, But the Bentley Bentayga one was the most epic because we were producing a film. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that was, I think we drove to Cannes and then to Monaco, then Portofino. Oh, the route for the Bentayga. Yeah. London to Reim. Oh, yeah. Reim to Monaco. Yeah.
0: Monaco to Milan.
2: Did we go to Milan first or Portofino first?
0: Uh, I think it was Milan and then to Portofino. Okay. And then to Bruno. Was it Bruno? The top of the Stelvio Pass. Yeah, somewhere up there. And then back to London. Yeah. For a five-minute film.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we, how long were we on the road? I feel like it was two weeks. It can't have been. It must have been
2: a week. No, it wasn't two. I think it was maybe like eight days. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Four of us, two film guys. Mm. Um, Luke and Vince. Luke and Vince. Luke,
0: who I should point out, is still uh, still works with me. And if you watch our. Uh, YouTube content you will know Luke's work because he's he's still doing what he does uh, making car films and flying amazing drone footage so yeah it's a a small little circle of creative people that we know isn't
2: it yeah they were I think I pitched the idea to them and said I can cover expenses so if you want to treat it like a bit of a holiday and an adventure yeah. yeah then go for it and then Vince got busy with proper film work and then Al Clark very kindly stepped in and did That's the final right, edit. Did the edit, yeah. Which uh, he's a top chap for doing that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a cool, uh, it's a cool thing. But it was that realization that actually you could chuck so much money at things for YouTube, but they'd rather see somebody trip over a shoelace. Exactly. And uh, that was kind of a bit depressing for
0: me. The the yeah, it is. It's a it's an ongoing frustration with people creating automotive media you have to be making something really quite incredible to be getting the footage otherwise yeah your arty film is for whatever reason looked at by the masses as well oh, why would I watch that when I can watch somebody's filmed it on a GoPro and an iPhone um, which is internally frustrating but uh eternally frustrating as to say um but that's that's life unfortunately that's the lesson we learned
2: yeah <laughs> yeah so The magazine went on until 2020 or 21. Mm -hmm. Uh, It peaked a bit in pandemic. I think our second to last issue had a BMX on the cover that we had built from scratch. Yes. Painted like a Diablo with Diablo wheels. And we sold that bike to a French guy for £4,000. Wow. And uh, that was that was good fun. There were some good projects with Private Motor Club. But with the pandemic, ad revenue just dropped off the cliff mm. and I needed to start looking for a proper job again. And then I got headhunted to go and work for Classic Driver as their managing editor, which is a really great European website covering classic car culture. And... Um, Yeah, did a few... I don't know how long I did with them, but... It was a good stint. Yeah, a couple of years maybe. Um, And then I just felt I needed a break from it all. Kind of was wary of my mental health. And uh, yeah, decided to move to Portugal for three months. (laughs) Which (laughs) was nice. Yeah. And um, yeah, while I was out there, I met up with an old mate called Jens... Yep, hello Jens. i have known for 10 years. Um I met him 2013 Gumball because I ran the press uh the not the press around the checkpoint at the Koenigsegg factory.
0: Uh-huh.
2: So while you were jetting off down towards the border <laughs> to get stuck at a border somewhere, jetting off in a Nissan <coughs> Qashqai. I wish I was joking. Yeah. Um yeah, I was uh meeting Jens. And we kept in touch ever since. Um, so while I was living out in Portugal, we just met up for lunch. And over the course of the lunch, he just said, I could do with somebody like you on the team at Zenvo." And then showed me the new car that they are working on, on his phone. And it looked mega. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I said, yeah, I'm in. And that's what I've found through life really is that you just... Uh, stuff just comes to you if you kind of put yourself out and like i said earlier get on and do the things that you enjoy it does if you stay indoors waiting for the phone to ring it's not but if you just crack on and do do what you love the good stuff uh, kind of comes to you i think it's very true and i think like you you said that very
0: kind thank you to tom brimblecombe earlier as the kind of person that perhaps turned on that little light bulb of this is what cars can be, i.e. driving around the world on these road trips and doing other bits and pieces. And I think I kind of need to extend a, a massive thank you to you for doing the same to me in, the, in regards to what you've just said, essentially, which is that because I never really, like so many of us and so many of our listeners right now will have, I'm sure, this, this ongoing thought at the back of their mind whilst working in a job that perhaps they don't love, or looking at this industry that they'd like to be more involved in and thinking, well, I want to do more with that. So in our sense, cars and motorbikes and travel, but I don't really know how to do it or at what point somebody taps you on the shoulder and goes, right, that's it. This is it. This is is the opportunity because that doesn't ever happen. But if you keep following that pursuit, and I think that's exactly what I ended up doing with you, it was kind of taking on these opportunities. If something would crop up of, oh, do you want to drive a Nissan GTR to Italy for a pizza and back then of course the answer was going to be yes and okay I know that that's not the kind of offer that people often get presented with and you know it comes with other caveats like you're going to have to fund it yourself or you know at least look after your own food and drink you're going to have to take a couple of weeks off work to do it which might eat into what would have been a holiday that sort of stuff but you have to grab all these opportunities. And I think that's what you and I have always been very good at doing is kind of not necessarily identifying what's an opportunity at any given time, but just going, oh, that'd be fairly cool. And then by doing that fairly cool thing, you meet other fairly cool people who think in a similar way and do things in a similar way. And it all does just fall into place. And it's often not until after stuff's happened that you think back and go, oh, that was the that was the opportunity there. You know, there wasn't a big A4 piece of paper saying, this is it, this is the day. It was just a collection of, in some cases, some very stressful, very difficult, um, ambitious working environments or chancer environments uh, that then lead to these massive opportunities. So there you are in Portugal on a little holiday, not a holiday as such, but having a little break from uh, from the reality that is the UK. You meet Jens. Jens says, oh, I'm looking after this company called Zenvo now and (laughs) give it a few months, you're the communications director for Zenvo.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think he he kind of tasked me with stuff straight away just to start thinking about bits and pieces. Uh just kind of reviewing the social media content and just uh yeah, look start looking at some strategy and and just all of the kind of things that are outwardly facing with the brand and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and just kind of how we would lead our way up to revealing these new cars to the world, which we did in August this year, at, uh, at the quail during Monterey car week. Um, so yeah, I think by October it was official mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, it's been, been a awesome journey so far. It's, um, it's a cool, cool car. Great team, and um, yeah, I just I love the design of it. The, the kind of Danish design philosophy behind it just produced a really good looking car, mm. and then powered by a six point six liter V twelve quad turbo engine. <laughs> the, That'll do it. Yeah, so Marley Powertrain are our engine partners, and like Marley as a group actually own Cosworth. Yeah, of course. um, Huge, huge company. Um, You'll see their logo on the Ferrari Formula One cars. Yeah. Um, They were really excited when we started talking to them about the engine, because it's not often that new engines get built these days. Absolutely, yeah. Um, And I think we were looking at a twin turbo engine, but when they started to kind of run some figures and do some kind of uh just computer figures and things actually quad turbo made more sense and quad turbo just sounds awesome it does
0: sound pretty cool sounds
2: crazy yeah um but yeah the the idea with aurora is that it is this equilibrium of extremes so we're not going out there to be the fastest car we're not going out there to be the electric hypercar. We're not going out there to be one thing better than anything else because there's always somebody who's going to come along a couple of months later and go faster around the Nürburgring or yeah. get a higher top speed. So why why risk compromising the car just for one thing? Mm, yeah, too right. Um, <clears throat> and I think you know now people just appreciate more and more just having an engaging, analogue-feeling car. So that's why we've really made sure that it it's kind of got this great balance across the whole car of how it feels to drive mm. the power. You know, there's plenty of power there, but it's not the most powerful. Yeah. And that was very important when we were kind of figuring it all out with the cars. Um, likewise, the interior, you won't see a big screen in there the analogue dials actually rotate with the screens
3: cool.
2: for all of the engine management and CarPlay behind it. So when you're sat in it, it feels like a kind of 90s supercar. Nice. Um, and you can focus on the driving. And it's not a big, bright screen making you squint or anything like mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, it's really, really cool thing. Really excited to be part of it. The engine we will hopefully fire up for the first time spring next year very cool that is going to be a big big day um yeah we've all we've all seen the car now and we love it and now we want to hear it definitely and then yeah towards the end of the year or throughout the year we'll start working on getting that engine into a mule car mm-hmm. i want to i want to ha- i want to make sure we keep all of the mule cars because i think yeah. I love all of that. It always breaks my heart when people have destroyed these mule cars yeah, yeah. afterwards. Um <clears throat> so they'll they'll all have Danish names, I'm sure. Um and yeah, production starts twenty twenty five, which feel which sounds a long way away. It's, but equally essentially it's next year, isn't it? it which By is the time really this goes out. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of terrifying as well. Yeah. So Talk to me then about
0: the so your the, that that conversation with Jens initially of like Do you want to come and be part of this because that must have been quite a one of those surreal moments in the career if you imagine life as a book or a career as a book suddenly this next chapter comes along it's you know been doing event bits and pieces and graphic design work some um, publishing work and now suddenly it looks like I'm about to be a head of communications for an automotive brand. That must have been, like, did it feel daunting? What was, your, what was your sort of perception of the brand at that
2: point in comparison to once you were in for a few months? Um, <clears throat> it wasn't too daunting because uh, I, I didn't know loads about Zenvo. I'd seen them at Salon Prive and I'd seen, seen them at Geneva Motor Show and things mm-hmm. like that over the years. Um, the car that they had looked cool um but they they weren't a huge company uh so compared to McLaren or something yeah, like that of course yeah if if i'd been offered the role of the Director of communications for McLaren i would've been yeah very very concerned mm. that i'd be able to manage that because that's a huge global company with multiple dealerships yeah all around the world um but you know Zenvo is a an artisan producer of hypercars. They were producing kind of four cars a year. And with Aurora, we'll start levelling that up, obviously. So there wasn't... I was kind of confident I could go into the role and not be overwhelmed straight away with (laughs) learning some of the new things I needed to learn. Um, So, yeah, I just kind of eased into it relatively smoothly. And And I guess at the dawn
0: of a, a new car, a new chapter for the brand... It's kind of perfect, isn't it? Because you, you can out, outline what you feel is going to be good and without having to feel like you're copying the work of others or learning from the crib sheet of a car that's already been on the market for two or three years.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, uh, the hardest stuff really is kind of getting up to speed with all of the older product because the the team that Jens has built now is very much about the new car. Mm. But we still need to talk and you, you know you can still by the existing car as well. So I just need to get up to speed with understanding that car and the journey of the company and the history and things, because they've been around since 2007. Yeah. That was when the company was very first founded. Um, so yeah, they've had a, had a long, long journey, but they've always kind of just kept themselves to a, a set size and not tried to kind of expand too mm. quick and, and try and build loads and loads of cars. Um, but the the factory is really cool. You'll have to come out there. Yeah, I um, when we do something next year and uh yeah, like the carbon work, it's just insane. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's what I hypercars, I'm never likely to own a hypercar, but I love how customizable they are yeah. and how personal they can be. And the buyers that we have are very much Self made people that are there, um, they don't want to have a car that everyone else has got, mm. they want to have something that has their personality in it. And with these kinds of cars, when you're spending towards three million dollars, yeah, you can do whatever you want, yeah. If uh, if you've got your son's favorite color t shirt that you want the interior to be, do do anything you know have images put into the carbon signatures names anything wow. at all really tints of paint over the carbon colored lacquer on the carbon like it's it's crazy so one of the fun things is just having to play on the the configurator that we've got mm-hmm. and watching all the customers during monterey car week sat there it's kind of normally like a up to a two-day thing if you're there with your partner just going through the car having these discussions which I feel like when you're spending that sort of money on something as
0: special as that it kind of warrants it doesn't it to be able to create something on the configurator go away for a bit have a little think then come back and go Oh, actually maybe lime green wheels wasn't the choice being able to make those arrangements is pretty cool
2: yeah the Buying these kinds of things, it's it, the whole journey needs to be an adventure mm. from from the day that you start looking into it and start configuring it, right until you get the get the keys and then you're you're in the Zenvo family then anyway so um, you're you're always going to be part of us after that but it's important to kind of keep the customer engaged in that journey because we don't build these cars in a week. So no, of course. <clears throat> that's one of the next things that we'll be looking at next year is just how we engage the customer, some nice little things that they'll receive throughout the course of the year or when they kind of pay the next stage of their deposits and things. Um so there's that's a really exciting part of the job is the commercial partnerships that we have yeah. and that we have talks going on about with watch brands and clothing and
3: cool.
2: and that side of things. I, I enjoy that. It's got it's got a good variety of the job.
0: Yeah, I can imagine.
2: And the customers that are coming forward that
0: are expressing interest or putting down deposits, what are they like? Are they people that already own a collection of hypercars? Are they people that this will be their first
2: hypercar? Is there a typical example of a customer? Um, I, you know, we're we're not Pagani or Bugatti. We haven't been producing cars for as long as they have, so. We're generally not going to be the very first hypercar people buy for most of the customers. Yeah, yeah. Some of them it is because they've seen it and they're moving a few things around and they're making the money, so the space for it, and they want it and they completely get it and they just love the sound of that engine. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the majority of the customers, though, have every hypercar. Wow. And it will be more like, Okay, April twenty twenty six. I've got a gap in the deliveries <laughs> of cars. Gosh. Can you get me a car for them? Uh, so those are more more often than not the conversations you're having is they're getting a Utopia one month and then they want <laughs> something else the next month. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's a different it's a different world. But I quite like that because it doesn't. Impact on my interest of cars, which, Mm. thanks again to Thomas, is kind of veering towards classic cars. Yeah. So my previous job at Classic Driver was starting to impact a bit on my passion. Yes. Because I was looking at all these cars for sale every day. I wanted to buy them all. Mm. And then by the end of the week, you don't really then want to do anything with your own classic car. Mm -hmm. With the hypercars, it's still... Interesting and cool, when it's cars, yeah, but it's not a world I'm ever going to be in, sure. So that means I can enjoy when it works yeah. my, my Jaguar at the weekends and things. Um, so I think that's quite important. Uh, it's you can be a bit too close to the kind of work life, yeah, thing sometimes. Um, but yeah, the three million dollar hypercars. I understand them and I know about them, but it's not likely to be in my garage anytime. time. No. no.
0: And that's, I think probably a good thing in, in, in the sense of having that separation <laughs> from desire to yeah, having that appreciation of what they are and why people buy them and why people love them so much. Mm. You can still share that passion, but yeah, without that spoiler. Of, yeah. Uh, the, the, what's the old analogy? If you work in a cake shop, eventually you will get sick and tired of cakes and, I think the same can be said for a lot of the automotive industry as well. If we indulge ourselves too much in a relatable, accessible world, it suddenly feels a lot like work, and that's when things aren't as fun.
2: Yeah, you say that, but I was a pizza boy, and I still love pizza. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, apart from my job now, obviously at Zenvo, which is the best job I've ever had, <laughs> being a pizza boy was probably the best, second best. Job was I've it ever. really? Yeah. yeah. Getting your knee down on mopeds every night with your mates. <laughs> Delivering to uh, women in dressing gowns <laughs> who were maybe wanting more than pizza. Really? Getting tips and free pizza. It was like, wow. I don't know. It ticked a lot of boxes. <laughs> <laughs> I love the comparison. Yeah. Do we.
0: Would we rather be communications director for a hypercar brand or a pizza delivery boy? Both about the same.
2: I think those, uh, I think muck jobs are environments where you make really great friends Mm. because you know that the job is perhaps not the best job in the world, but you all kind of pull together. And so that kind of banter, if you want to call it that, is just unrivaled. Yeah. That's very true, actually, I'm thinking back on some
0: of the um, in-between jobs that I had in, whilst pursuing the wider, this is what I want to do for a living. Um, and yeah, still got a lot of really close friends that I've worked with in call centres and r- random event companies dotted around the world, which is uh, which is quite cool, and travel. Yeah, big stints in travel. Yeah. So n- knowing what you know and, and the life that you've lived and career that you've had so far, what would you say are kind of some of the most formative chapters the stuff that you perhaps look back on now because I found, I've certainly found myself doing this now that I've got to a point where I've done quite a few different things in the automotive world I look back on things that I did maybe five ten years ago and think God, I wouldn't have even imagined that this this little bizarre thing I was doing was become such a formative chapter to towards future things so so anything like that that stands out for you that at the time, you you wouldn't have even given it a second thought, but now you look back on and go, God, that was actually an amazing thing.
2: Yeah, I think, um, so when I left the first design agency job and went freelance, I went along to a car show at Earl's Court called MPH. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that show, Intersection Magazine had a stand, and I went over and I said, I love your mag, like, i buy all the copies when I can find it because it's mm-hmm. quite hard to find. Would love to work for you sometime. And that was how I got the call from Yorgo to say, come and work. Yeah. So if I hadn't bothered going to that show, would never have worked for Gumball, would never have met the person invested in Private Motor Club, mm-hmm. would never have met Jens, and wouldn't be at Zembo now. Yeah. So if I'd had a had a cold that day, then... It, I have no idea what I would be doing now. It's funny, isn't it? That, yeah, you have those thoughts. Because I've
0: had the same thought about the the random trip that I would have gone on with Al to the Nürburgring. That wouldn't have been a paid gig. That would have been I'm Al saying, I'm going to the Nürburgring to do this and this and to meet this guy. Do you want to come? And whether or not I had some, <laughs> some days off in the week or days in lieu or whatever it would have been, a long weekend and just went, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll come along. And there we are standing in a Nürburgring car park going... John meet Tim, Tim meet John. (laughs) It's funny, isn't it? These little moments. So I guess the moral of that story then for you, dear listener, is if if these opportunities come up to experience something, to try something, or if you've got this desire to go and indulge in your passion that maybe one day could be a career, it's probably worth showing up.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I always, if anyone ever kind of asked me for advice or anything I try and try and help because I know that mm. we're all in that same point once Definitely, before. Yeah. It's it's like when you've got a great press car and somebody wants somebody's looking at it, you always kind of let them have a sit in it. Oh something. god yeah. Because Absolutely. those are the those are the memories that we hold of like sitting in these amazing cars and things as kids yeah. and that can that can set you off on a on a path in life. So yeah. Yeah, it's much easier to be nice to people as well. It is, yeah. As 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 much as other people would try to convince you otherwise,
0: it really is the case. Be a nice person, be interesting, be interested. The rest is easy.
2: Yeah. Oh. 100%. Yeah. Well, this has been quite nice, hasn't it? Very pleasant. Yeah. Very pleasant. We've <laughs> worked through.
0: I, I'm glad, actually, because I've learned certain things that I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know. I think maybe I did know about the Pizza Boy chapter. Yeah. Lots of things I didn't know.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, I yeah. didn't cover hitting a deer in a Citroen AXGT
0: driving to work. That's true. You also didn't mention the time that you were driving a Lexus that had a very distinctive mark on the boot.
2: Yeah. When a horse tried to eat it. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. The moral of the story is if you live by the sea, wash your car a lot because it gets very salty. Uh-huh. And horses like salt. <laughs> and if they lick salt on your Lexus, we'll try and eat it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. And the deer, they went. by the time I got to work, the, the, I think the, the Citroen AX GT came off worse than the deer. Um, it's made of French paper. Yes. Um, by the time I got to work, I told my boss, and with a very serious face, he said that I needed to uh, call the police and tell them. And I was really, really nervous and called the police and said, oh, I think I hit a deer on the way into work. And uh, they were like, and? Cool. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, there's probably uh, many, many silly things (laughs) that I've done. That's the joys of life, though, isn't it? And the, the great thing is there'll be many more. Uh, there'll definitely be many more silly things yeah. yeah and all the stuff that can't be spoken about publicly will all go in a book at some point
0: yeah 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 absolutely
2: yeah. ideally published about a week or two before we die I think I'll probably just leave it somewhere in a lockup with a key for afterwards <laughs> that should be the title of the book yeah for afterwards
0: yeah for afterwards yeah, yeah. there will be many stories for sure yes uh, well thank you Tim it's been a bit of fun working through the career. I am genuinely really excited to see what happens with the the new Aurora. Um, so you say the mules hopefully about this time next year, towards the end of 2024.
2: Yeah, so we'll we'll fire up the engine and then from there we'll probably look to get some form of car like an Altima or something that we mm. can get the engine in and just start putting miles on it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Unfortunately, we probably won't have anything like that operational before Goodwood Festival of Speed, which will be the first proper chance for people in the UK to see mm-hmm. the Aurora models. Um, but yeah, by by this time next year, we'll be dry putting mileage on the engine, which nice. is really,
0: really cool. Very cool. So yeah. potentially Festival of Speed 2025, we might see a car up the hill.
2: Uh, Yeah, we might have something going up the hill, maybe in some camo. Well, I don't need it to be in camo because I I don't think we're going to change the car a whole lot from the concept because um, for the current concepts, we did foam models and the designers have already made certain tweaks. There will be a few things that change, obviously. But um, yeah, we've very much designed the car with global homologation in mind. Uh, Ingress, egress, our chief designer, Christian Brandt, is a very, very tall Danish man. <laughs> and so there was absolutely no chance of him not being able to fit in the car. Cool. Um, so we've done a lot of the stuff that maybe some companies would go out and make a really cool looking concept and then be like, ah, can't actually do that. Yeah, yeah. We, we did a lot of that. And I think that's that kind of Danishness of just working through things very methodically and being precise about stuff. Doing it properly, mm. so yeah, next year is going to be really exciting and a a big schedule of travel and sharing these cars all around the world as well.
0: Yeah, of course, yeah, it's a big
2: part of it, isn't it? Yeah, exciting stuff. Well, wow. can't wait to see more.
0: Um, well, thank you, it's been good fun. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I've remembered things I'd forgotten so it's good dangerous thing about this podcast malarkey as you do you end up remembering things again oh Christ I've not spoken to that person for a while but check they're still alive Um, anyway speaking of being still alive this podcast is but only just because as you may be aware talking to you now dear listener we are bringing this particular podcast to an end (gasps) big shock horror for those that haven't been listening to the most recent episodes yet we're drawing this one to an end but we are carrying on In the new year, probably late winter, early spring, with a new chapter for Driven and for our podcast. So, for all the details of that and the nitty gritty and the information, just have a look at the website, driven.site, and keep an eye on our social feeds as well. You'll see all the information you need to know about that big change there. Um, For now, I will say thank you very much for listening. Do listen out for another episode in about a week's time because I have a feeling it's going to be quite a major one with a fairly significant title so keep an eye on that thank you so much for listening we shall speak to you again next week
2: the driven chat podcast powered by paramex digital
1: when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers
3: Thanks. Bye.